Good morning, camp meeting, eight o'clock family. It is encouraging to see that you have chosen to be here. You could be taking a walk around the lake at this time, but you've chosen to be with us here in this meeting. If we could have our slides on the big screen, that would really be helpful for me. Pastor Louie uh, just made a comment about a ministry that we do have in Charlotte, uh, radio station WGFY. It was in 2014, 15 in that area that a group of Sharon Charlotte church members banded together and had a vision to expand radio ministry. And a private corporation was formed for legal purposes and liability purposes called the Charlotte Advent Media Corporation. And we purchased uh, WGFY from the Disney Corporation. Now, when you see WGFY and you put that in the framework of Disney, what would that stand for? Goofy. (laughs) But we rebranded it to With Grace for you. And in our era of technological capacities, you don't actually have to be in Charlotte to listen to WGFY. You can listen online. So if you take a picture of that slide, you can go to the website WGFYradio.com or you can download the app, WGFY app from your app store, and you can connect with WGFY wherever you are. And as Pastor Leslie mentioned, uh, yes, we do have a program called Bible Breakthrough, which airs at 7 o'clock, Monday through Friday. Uh, There are other of our elders that have local programming called Prophecy, The Real Story. We carry Doug Batchelor. We carry John Bradshaw. We carry Breath of Life with Carlton Bird. And there are some other programs that are outside of the Adventist community because we are a Life Talk Radio affiliate. And some of those other sources, such as Family Life Today um, and some financial advice uh, programming as well. But it has been a great blessing to the Charlotte area and to our Sharon Church. Here's just a a brief look at the homepage for the uh, website. The arrow points to the upper right-hand corner And if you click on that button, listen now, you can listen to WGFY at any time. Well, we have had quite a week already here at the 8 o'clock session. I was so impressed with Pastor Williams' message on Monday of finding Christ in all of the scriptures. I learned some things from Pastor Williams that morning. When he was done, I wanted to go back to my room and just read the Bible. And then on Tuesday, Pastor Ashlock took us to the presence of Christ and seeing the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus. And yesterday, Pastor Cove gave a a moving example of what we read in the book Desire of Ages, that it would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ, especially the closing scenes, as he led us 
down the pathway as Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. I was moved again. And have you noticed that each pastor has a little bit of a a unique manner in which they present their message? And that's just like the Bible, because the Bible is full of diversity. It has history, it has prophecy, it has poetry. The Bible is a very diverse book. Pastors, preachers, evangelists, speakers also have uniqueness to the manner in which they convey the gospel and the message of the Bible. And this morning, it's going to be different from yesterday as well as the day before and on Monday as well. Seek my face arises from Psalm 27, embedded in the heart of 12 verses of Psalm 27, we find these words. And I'm going to prep you for the moment. I want you to say out loud those words which are displayed in red, okay? So get ready, because when we hit that area of that screen, let's repeat those together. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Humans recognize each other with facial features. Humans have more facial diversity than any of the other animal species, biologically speaking, that is. And the most variable trait of the human face is the design, the arrangement of what appears to be, and in reality is, our eyes, our nose, and our mouth. This is what sets off the uniqueness of the human face. 52 separate facial muscles connected to nerves express a range of emotions. You've said it, someone has said it to you. I can see it in your face. Cicero, first century BC philosopher, made this observation. The face is a picture of the mind with the eyes as its interpreter. A little bit more recently, Marty Rubin, and if you know anything about him, we would not especially think of him as being a paragon of Christian virtue, but he observed that every face is born with a thousand masks to go with it. Now, I don't know if a thousand is really in the realm of reality, but you and I have done that. We show up on Sabbath morning to fellowship and worship, and what do we do? Happy Sabbath! I'm dying inside because I've had a crisis this week. But happy Sabbath. This is just me. I'm not saying you have to do this. I do not use that term, happy Sabbath, flippantly. I do employ it from time to time. But most of the time, my go-to greeting on Sabbath morning is, it is so good to see you today. Because that's true. And I am not obligating 
the other person to put on a mask. Now, they can choose to do that if they want to, but they don't have to do that. Oscar Wilde, again, not necessarily a paragon of Christian virtue, 120, 25 years ago, made this observation. A man's face is his autobiography. A woman's face is her work of fiction. Now, before you get offended at that, because you can take that many, many different ways, I would just observe that in today's culture, we're not even sure what a woman is. So Mr. Wilde had no idea of how far ahead of his time he was. Social scientists have made a few observations. People who are taller and have rectangular faces are more likely to be leaders. More likely, okay, probably not true in Napoleon's case. People with strong personalities tend to have strong jaws. Another observation, more agreeable people have larger eyes. Extroverted people tend to have larger lips. Maybe, maybe not. People with larger noses tend to have more ambition. I guess I don't have very much ambition. There are shared behaviors in people with the same eye color. I've never done a study on that. Someone has. Extroverted people smile more. Now that, I think, is generally true. Extroverted people smile more. If the human face is this complex, and if we are created in the image of God, what about God's face? Seek God's face? What does that mean? It is an invitation to intimacy. We're looking at Psalm 27, and if you're familiar with that psalm, you know that it is an intriguing combination of strength and vulnerability. The first six verses give this amazing display of trust and confidence, and then there's a mood change around verse 7 through the remainder of the psalm. It is a cry for help. The psalm begins this way, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Now most of you are in that senior season of life, right? Do you remember a song, was it Hale and Wilder? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Heard that song? Ah, I'm glad we connected. When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, David continues, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. I mean, is he looking back to his experience with Goliath? in which the whole camp is trembling, and David with bravado says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? The Lord is my strength. Hmm. 
For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. This is the image that comes to me as I read these opening verses from David. Four by four F-250 pickup. All-terrain tires. Souped-up exhaust. Flag in the back. Cruising down Hallelujah Boulevard. I mean, the confidence, the strength is just oozing out of these opening verses of Psalm 27. My head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, I will sing praises to the Lord. Well, that's the first half of Psalm 27. Because the mood shifts. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, did David have reason to even go there subconsciously? Yes, he did. You remember when the prophet Samuel shows up at Jesse's house and he says, Jesse, I'd like to take a look at your boys. And Jesse brings all of his boys, all seven of them, and they pass before the prophet. And Samuel scratches his head and goes, hey, Jesse, is this it? You have any more? Oh, that's right. David. Day, I forgot about David. He's out in the pasture, minding the sheep. Alive, would you go get David? I don't know why, but Samuel wants to see him. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. Now, Bible scholars, in observing Psalm 27, postulate that this psalm was likely written at that season in which David is in the already, but the not yet. He's already been anointed as king, but he's not yet on the throne. And I know that you're familiar with the experience of David. He is being pursued as a hunted animal. I would have lost heart. I, 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 I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I, I, I'm hanging on, God. I'm hanging on by faith. And right in the middle, right in the middle of these two contrasting emotional experiences, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek strength, yet subject to vulnerability. 
Have you been there? We all have. Note that it is God who initiates. It is God who appeals, who invites, who prompts. I want you to want me. I want intimacy with you. And David responds, yes. There are historical precedents that David was well aware of, of the benefits and the the vulnerabilities of being in God's presence. The experience of Jacob wrestling with the angel whom we believe to be in Pastor Patrick Williams's echo of Monday was a Christophany that happened. Remember that word? Was a Christophany that happened in the Old Testament. Jacob came out of that saying, I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved, but I'm going to have a limp for the rest of my days because of this face-to-face encounter that I've had with God. Going face-to-face with God is, is, it it, it could have its, I don't want to use the word liabilities, but it could have its outcomes that we may not necessarily choose to have. Moses, this is intriguing, we don't have time to actually explore this, but in Exodus 33, which is after Exodus 32, and recall that what happened in Exodus 32, golden calf, all of that, brings to mind. So Moses is up on the mountain again having a dialogue with God about the future and what's going to happen with his people. Have you ever noticed the intriguing dialogue that happens between God and Moses throughout the book of Exodus? Moses says, these are your people. God says, no, they're not my people. They're your people. Together, they are their people. But the Bible says that the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Hmm. But then just a few verses later, God says, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. So Moses, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of set you over here. There's a little opening in the rock. And when I make my glory pass by, you'll be able to actually lead the children tomorrow and the next day and, and, and the next week, the next month. Being face-to-face with God is an invitation to intimacy, but God actually accommodates us in our fallenness. Intimacy results when we seek God's face. But remember, we are coming into the presence of a pure and holy and awesome God, as Hebrew observes, our God is a consuming fire. I want you to want me. My heart desires you. And I believe that the response that each of us have today echoes David's response. Yes, Lord, I will seek your face. Now, this is just to kind of tease you and intrigue you for something in the future because we're not going to go into detail about this. Because you are the 
eight o'clock group of camp meeting, I'm assuming that you have attended and participated in numerous workshops over the years. And maybe you bumped into a professor from one of our universities who talked about chiasm. Anybody familiar with chiasm? You don't count. You're a pastor. You already know this stuff. <laughs> so chiasm is a Hebrew literary form in which the purpose of a chiasm is to make the main point in the middle of the document. And you can see how it is graphically illustrated here in its completeness. But let's just kind of look at this step by step. So at the beginning, David speaks about the Lord being the strength of his life. And at the end, he says, wait on the Lord. He will strengthen your heart. He talks about the beauty of the Lord. But then in the second half, he makes reference to the goodness of the Lord. He speaks about his enemies. And then he speaks about his enemies again in the second half of the psalm. Three positive petitions, three negative petitions. But smack dab in the middle. Seek my face. That is the main point. That is the testimony that David is giving, responding to this invitation that God has given to him. And by the way, the book of Revelation is structurally in a chiasm. And you know what is in the very center of the Revelation chiasm? Revelation 14. Revelation 14, verses 6 through 12, the main point. Now, what we're going to do in our remaining time today is really to simply unpack verse 8 in the context of verse 4. We're not going to look at the rest of Psalm 27, not going to try and cover the entire psalm. We're just going to center in on verse 8 in the context of verse 4. Revelation, or rather, Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This is the context of intimacy of responding to the invitation to seek my face. What do you never weary of beholding that is beautiful? Here are mine. Sunsets. Who doesn't get mesmerized by beautiful sunset? And no two are the same because the cloud formations are different. And each one just draw. Look, look at that. Isn't that amazing? Mountains. Do some of you know where this is? This is Max Patch, not too far away from here. I love to be on top of mountains. This is a picture I took just a couple of days ago from the Blue Ridge Parkway up near Water Rock Knob. It's about 
maybe a 30-minute drive from here by car. It's about an hour and a half by bicycle. As was mentioned earlier, we used to live in Asheville, pastored at the Foster Church. Now in Charlotte. And you know, I'm okay when I'm in Charlotte. I'm okay on the southwest side of Charlotte and 485 in Pineville at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Stop and roll. Stop and roll. Stop and roll. But when I come back to Western North Carolina, I go, oh, wow. I used to live here. <laughs> I love being in the mountains. This is uh, Shining Rock, Black Balsam area, I believe. I didn't take that picture, but I, I recognize the topography of the picture. I love mountains. I'm an avid backpacker have hiked the entire John Muir Trail in Central California over 200 miles, two times. Once section hiking, once through hiking. This is Banner Peak overlooking Thousand Island Lake. I have a wonderful wife who at the age 60 plus tolerates sleeping on the ground. But I love, this is a day's walk into any parking spot it takes you a day plus to get there. You do not see this by car. You only see it by foot. What is beautiful that you love to behold? Animals are beautiful. The delicacy, the intricacy, the color of a butterfly in contrast to a tiger. The human body is beautiful. The intricacy of our, our structural system and our nerves and the physiology of the body. A, a, a rose, a, a maple tree in fall. It is all beautiful. Babies are beautiful, are they not? Especially when they're your baby, then they are 10 times exponentially more beautiful than all the other babies. A young couple in love is beautiful. But also, a couple who has been together for four, five decades and beyond is beautiful. Service, serving others is beautiful. What do you never weary of beholding that is beautiful? David says, I want to behold the beauty of the Lord. Beauty is something that moves the beholder because of its loveliness. It brings a sense of pleasure and satisfaction. And so for David, beholding the beauty of the Lord brings to him joy and pleasure and satisfaction. And he does this by inquiring in the temple. It is what he learns as the foundation of the temple, which reveals the beauty of the Lord. Now, what shows the beauty of the Lord in his house, his temple? Again, you're the eight o'clock crowd, so I know that you know most of this. The sanctuary. We are given the most detail about 
the meaning and the significance of the sanctuary in the Old Testament throughout the book of Exodus. And just to place the sanctuary in the context of the entire Exodus event, the book of Exodus could be, could be outlined in three sections. Chapters 1 through 18 is the bush and deliverance. Chapters 19 through 24 is what takes place at Sinai. We call that the hill, the incorporation of the community into a covenant relationship with God nationally. And then chapters 25 through 40 is the tent, the house, God's temple. So God comes to Moses and he says, I've heard the cry of my children in Egypt and I have come down to deliver them. Oh, how how Moses wished that God would have done all the work instead of him getting involved. So God comes down to deliver them And in that deliverance, following the 10 plagues, there is the miraculous experience of walking through the Red Sea and then water provided for them for sustenance in the wilderness. When they come to Mount Sinai, they're incorporated as a national community. And before the commandments are given, God states, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Don't you love that phrase? I didn't just deliver you for you. I brought you to myself. And then God reveals himself, giving the 10 words and setting up what it means to dwell together as a holy God. And through that dwelling, he provides forgiveness and reconciliation. You know the scriptural passages, the instruction that is provided, how in order to forgive and deal with sin, the repentant one would come with their sacrificial animal, lay their hand on the head of that animal, symbolically transferring their sin to the animal, And then atonement is provided. Justice and mercy reside in God's temple. This is what is beautiful to David. David wrote also this psalm, Psalm 103. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. Oh, I want to behold the beauty of the Lord. I am moved by the loveliness of the Lord as I come to increasingly deeper and broader understandings of the character of God as it is revealed in the sanctuary, the temple. And this is why then I want to dwell all the days of my life in the house of the Lord. And this is not just to be in a physical proximity within the courts of the sanctuary, but it is to be dwelling intellectually, spiritually, emotionally in the presence of God. Psalm 27, song of trust, a prayer for help. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. Now, would that David had always followed through on what he testified in Psalm 27. But then again, do you and I, do we have seasons of vulnerability? 
I mentioned a few moments ago that David lived in the middle of already, but not yet. Hunted like an animal for years. There was a week, a month, I'm not exactly sure how long, in which he just caved to the stress and the emotion of everything. He says, I've had enough of this. I'm just going to, you know, go over to Gath for a little while so that Saul will not hunt me over there. And David changed his behavior, and he pretended madness in their hands and let saliva fall down on his beard. Now, this is recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 21. This is after David has been anointed, and it is after he has had that amazing victory with Goliath. Remember? Spiritual testosterone, four-by-four pickup, running down Hallelujah Highway. And now he's got this, I don't don't know if I can do this anymore. I just want relief from the anxiety, from the mystery of it all. Many years ago, I read these words from patriarchs and prophets. They've always stuck with me. When shadows encompass the soul, When we want light and guidance, we must look up at how often that has to be an intentional act on our part. There is light beyond the darkness. David ought not to have distrusted God for one moment. He had cause for trusting in him. He was the Lord's anointed, and in the midst of danger, he had been protected by the angels of God. That is true. But for whatever reason, David just stepped into a period of weakness. He had been armed with courage to do wonderful things. And if he had but removed his mind from the distressing situation in which he was placed and had thought of God's power and majesty, he would have been at peace. Even in the midst of the shadows of death. What an encouragement. And at the same time, what a challenge to do that. I'm not going to go into the details. But there have been days where I will call someone that I can trust. I'm really struggling today because of X, X, and X. Will you just pray for me and you know what's concerning me? Haven't we all been there? And so the challenge and yet the benefit of removing our mind from the distressing situation and placing it upon God's power and majesty. I don't think this really applies to many in this room, but maybe you can utilize this in your conversations with others. In the context of today's social media saturated environment, and just we're just bam, 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 bam. 
We need to remove our minds not only from our own personal distressing situations, but also from the distressing situation of this world. I'm not saying to become a hermit and to simply ignore it, but you've got to take a break every now and then. Because hello, it's not gonna get better. It's going to get worse. We have this little parenthesis of time in which we can come to this beautiful setting. But in reality, just look at the progression from the last few years. It's getting worse and worse and worse. And it's predicted to be so. So David also wrote Psalm 63. And I don't know where that is chronologically in relationship to Psalm 27. I don't know if this is after his little depressive situation over in Gath. But in Psalm 63, he writes this, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you and my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have Look for you, where? In the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Mm. Beholding the beauty of the Lord, dwelling intellectually, spiritually, emotionally in the presence of God, making a detailed inquiry into his temple. Now this is not by chance that when we come to the New Testament, as John introduces us to Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. All things were made through him. Nothing was made that was made. And then in verse 14, this is not a random word that is selected. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is an echo of Exodus 25, 8. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him just as the sanctuary was revealing the character of God. Jesus in flesh, he's the fleshly sanctuary, is declaring the bosom, the inner heart of God. Jesus is the personification of the sanctuary. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary because your loving kindness is better than life. And how this was lived out in the experience of Peter. Denying Christ three times. Did he not feel like he was done? And yet Jesus reinstates him. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. You know I love you. Just one human example. There's Mary delivered from demonic possession and how Mary's heart was captured by the beauty of Jesus' character. When I think of Peter and Mary and others like them, this little piece that I came across puts it so powerfully. And I'm not sure... I agree with every word that is written in this, but I agree with the sentiment. I'm very ugly, so don't try to convince me that I am a very beautiful person because at the end of the day, I hate myself in every single way. And I'm not going to lie to myself by saying there 
There's beauty inside of me that matters, so rest assured, I will remind myself that I am a worthless, terrible person, and nothing you say will make me believe I still need love. Because no matter what, I am not good enough to be loved. And I'm not in a position to believe that beauty does exist within me because whenever I look in the mirror, I always think, am I as ugly as people say? But Jesus and the sanctuary flips that. Read the same words now from the bottom up. Am I as ugly as people say? I always think, because whenever I look in the mirror, beauty does exist within me. And I'm not in a position to believe that I am not good enough to be loved because no matter what, I still need love. And nothing you say will make me believe that I'm a worthless, terrible person. So rest assured, I will remind myself there is beauty inside of me that matters. And I'm not going to lie to myself by saying I hate myself in every single way because at the end of the day, I'm a very beautiful person, so don't try to convince me that I'm very ugly. That's the transformative impact of intimacy with God. And so the book Education is a commentary on what we have just read. In every human being, he, Jesus, discerned infinite possibilities. He saw men as they might be, transfigured by his grace in the what? The beauty of the Lord our God. Looking upon them with hope, he inspired hope. Meeting them with confidence, he inspired trust. Revealing in himself. Man's true ideal, he awakened for its attainment both desire and faith. In his presence, souls despised and fallen realized that they were still men and they longed to prove themselves worthy of his regard. In many a heart that seemed dead to all things holy were awakened new impulses. To many a despairing one, there opened the possibility of a new life. Praise God. I want to dwell. In the house of the Lord all the days of my life, beholding his beauty. How can we do this? How can we do this on a practical, present experience? You can pray through the sanctuary in your mind. This probably requires more than 60 seconds. But you can enter the court and you can come to the altar and you can, you can remember that the altar is representative of the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You can go to the labor for cleansing. We can go into the first room there. Jesus is our nourishment. We can ask for the Holy Spirit to come into our lives that day. We can go to the altar of incense and intercede for our family, our loved ones. I'm going through this very, very, very fast, but I think you're tracking with me. And you can go into the most holy place in your mind's eye and look at that perfect combination, sisterhood, fellowship of grace, mercy, and justice that brings us at one 
with God. Seek my face. Seek my face as an invitation to intimacy. Jesus was the personification of that. But the whole sanctuary theme just weaves its way through the entire scriptures. And we come to the book of Revelation, chapter 22. This is what we find. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see what? His face. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, and there shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light, for the Son, the Lord God, gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever is an echo of David. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. When you said, seek my face, Lord, I responded, your face I will seek. So let's just sing it together. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face what will it be? When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ who died for me. Face to face shall I behold him Far beyond the starry sky Face to face in all his glory I shall see him by and by what rejoicing in his presence when our banished grief and pain, when the crooked ways are straightened and the dark things shall be plain. Face to face shall I behold him Far beyond the starry sky, face to face in all his glory, I shall see him by and by. Face to face, O oh blissful moment, face to face to see and know, face to face with my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who loves me so. Face to face shall I behold, 
behold him far beyond the starry sky. Face to face in all his glory, I shall see him by and by. Seek my face. Amen.